Mother's Day, and we're honored to have so many mothers with us this morning in our worship. You know, the Bible speaks about mothers. Adam named the woman created from his rib Eve, referring to her as the mother of all living things. In Genesis, we read about Isaac's wife, Rebekah, who we most remember for giving birth to the twins Esau and Jacob, and who deceived her husband when he wanted to bless Esau. In Genesis, we also encounter Leah and Rachel, who competed with each other to bear children for Jacob. Who can forget Hannah, who we read in 1 Samuel, prayed year after year for a child, swearing an oath to dedicate her child to the Lord. And of course, she gave birth to the prophet Samuel. Then there's Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. In the genealogy of Jesus, as recorded in Matthew, we see mention of Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. The fifth commandment is to honor your father and your mother. Leviticus 29 says that anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And Jesus, looking down from the cross, commended his mother to the care of his disciple John. Now, while the bulk of the book of Proverbs is attributed to Solomon, the first nine verses of chapter 31 are referred to as an oracle taught to King Lemuel by his mother. And Proverbs 6.20 says, forsake not your mother's teaching. The tenderness and care of motherhood is referred to by Paul and by Jesus. So it's fitting that we should honor mothers on Mother's Day. This morning, I want to take a look in the Bible at another mother, one from whom we can learn principles about faith, and one who is commended for her own faith. In Genesis 17, God declared that she would become nations that kings would come from her. And we are, of course, talking about Sarah, the wife of Abraham. In Hebrews 11.11, we read, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she was considered faithful, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Today, I want to consider three aspects of faith that we learn from, I'm sorry, four aspects of faith that we learn from considering Sarah. First is true faith is reliant. True faith is reliant. The second is true faith is redemptive. The third is true faith is responsive. And finally, true faith rejoices. So let's consider, Sarah, as we do a little background on her, what we know about her. She was Abraham's half-sister, the daughter of his father, but not of his mother. Such marriages, while prohibited today, were not uncommon or immoral in those days. She and Abraham had no children. She was considered very beautiful even in her own age, her old age. Both Pharaoh and Abimelech sought to court her when she and Abraham sojourned in their countries. She submitted to her husband as he followed the Lord's commands, leaving their home in Ur and making the trek to Canaan. In his first epistle, Peter cites Sarah as an example of inner beauty in the way she submitted to her husband. Now think about it. Abraham, a pagan in a land of many gods, tells her that the one true God spoke to him and told him that he will become a great nation and that his name will be great. So he wants her to pack her belongings, leave home, walk across the desert for months, all to a place that this God will show Abraham when he gets there. Wives, how many of you would do that? Your husband tells you he's received a special message that he's destined for fame and renown, and he wants to pack up and move. Where? He doesn't know, but he'll be told when he gets there. 
And yet we read that Sarah did not balk at this. And we read nowhere that Sarah didn't balk at this. Twice, when Abraham is afraid, he will be killed with the, well, other powerful men would take Sarah as a wife. He tells Sarah to lie about their status. Sarah obeys her husband, even maintaining the deception herself. Now, my wife has said that sometimes submitting to your husband, even when he is wrong, can equate to ducking so God can punch him. And I think, I, th- I think Sarah was engaged in this. But Sarah could also be a firebrand, and she had a strong will herself. We're going to find out about this. And this leads to the first point. True faith is reliant. True faith is reliant. Now, how many of you have heard these quotes from the Bible? Cleanliness is next to godliness. God works in mysterious ways. Or how about this one? God helps those who help themselves. We know where we can find these, right? I think they're in first suppositions, three, one through three. Now, I don't know about the first two, but Sarah definitely succumbed to the third. I think Sarah believed the promise that God would make Abraham a great nation. God had just reiterated his promise in an amazing covenantal ceremony, which is recounted in Genesis 1-5, or I'm sorry, Genesis 15. Since Sarah was barren, Abraham had suggested that Eleazar, his servant, would be his heir. But God said that Abraham's heir would not be Eleazar, but rather Abraham's own son. And then we read that Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. To affirm his promise, God caused Abraham to fall into a deep sleep when nightfall came. And then God confirmed his covenant with Abraham with a ceremony involving a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passing between the pieces of animals cut in half with each half laid over and against each other. <clears throat> no doubt Abraham shared with Sarah his own, that his own offspring would be his heir, not Eleazar. But the problem for Sarah was that she's 75 years old and well beyond the age of childbearing. But Sarah may have reasoned, God did not tell her that she would be the mother, not yet. Perhaps there was another way. So she decided to help God along with this plan. She gave her handmaiden Hagar to Abraham, suggesting that Hagar bear a child on Sarah's behalf. Now this was a a common practice in the area at the time. The problem is that such a plan goes against God's intention for marriage. And we know the account from Genesis 16. Hagar conceived a child from Abraham. She began to parade around the fact that she was pregnant, and she began to look down on Sarah. Proverbs 30, 21 through 23 says, Under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king, and a fool when he is filled with food. An unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. And certainly, Hagar fell into that category. Sarah became upset, actually blaming Abraham for the situation. She told Abraham to send Hagar away. And rather than address the problem, Abraham told Sarah to take care of it. So Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, and she sent Hagar away. The outcome wasn't at all what Sarah had anticipated. But this should come as no surprise. Sarah did not wait on the Lord. 
She may have believed that Abraham was to be the father of a great nation, but she was not patient enough to wait for the Lord in his timing. Her faith wavered as she and Abraham grew older. They'd been in Canaan for 10 years and no baby. And you know the rest of the story. The angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar in the desert and told her that she would bear a son, directing her to return to Sarah and Abraham and to submit. And Hagar did just that, and she delivered a baby boy who was named Ishmael. Things didn't work out as Sarah had planned. Her faith in God was weak. So she tried to bring about God's promise through her own plan and her own efforts. I wonder how many times we pray over a matter, we have a desire, a need, but we don't really trust God with the answer. We do things, sometimes little things, sometimes big things to help God out. All too often, it's because we feel powerless. For example, the hungry person who doesn't rely on God, but instead turns to theft, rather than depend on the Lord as Jesus calls us to do in Matthew 6. Or the rich person who no longer credits the Lord with the blessings he's been given, and instead he turns to worldly means to enlarge his wealth. Consider Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Or perhaps most commonly, we seek revenge or maybe a little payback when someone does something wrong to us. We don't have faith in God's justice. And we forget the admonition in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Pastor Jeff, you say, it feels so good when someone gets the justice they deserve. Yeah, maybe, but think about that the next time you don't get the justice you deserve. When we help God, we're expressing a kind of faith. And what it is, it's a faith in ourselves. It's a faith that says, I can't fully rely on God. And it's a faith of pride. Yet I ask you, who would you rather rely on? Last I checked, none of us is omnipresent. None of us is omniscient. None of us is omnipotent. But there is one who is all of these and more. It's Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the creator of all things. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I ask you, do you grieve? He is the one who gives comfort to all who mourn. Are you in bondage to sin? He is your deliverer. Are you anxious? He is the one who bears our burdens. Do you fear death? He is the resurrection and the life. He said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he is faithful. In Revelation 19, he is the one who is called faithful and true. He is the faithful witness of Revelation 1.5. The faithful and true witness in Revelation 3.14. And Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 
that he is faithful. He will establish us and guard us against the evil one. The writer of Hebrews said, We may hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This comforter, this creator, this deliverer, this good shepherd, this one who is called faithful and true is unchanging. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in 2 Timothy, and if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Sarah, whose faith faltered, found this out. Listen again to, to Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. In Genesis 17, we find that 13 years after Ishmael was born, the Lord again appeared to Abraham and told him that Sarah would bear him a son. Now, Abraham is now 99 years old, and Sarah is 89 years old. It's at this point that God changed their names. He changed Abraham's name from Abram, which meant exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. In Genesis 17, 5, God says to Abraham, For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. Note what God says here, I have made. You see, for God, this was a done deal. For Sarah, he changed her name from Sarai, which means my princess, to Sarah, which means princess. God explained to Abraham that she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then listen to Abraham's response from Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham then suggested to the Lord that perhaps Ishmael could be his chosen heir. God said that Ishmael would indeed be blessed. But it would be with the son of Sarah, whose name would be Isaac, that God would establish his covenant. In Genesis 18, we read that shortly thereafter, the Lord again appeared to Abraham, this time in his tent. And the Lord asked the whereabouts of Sarah, who was in the tent. And listen to the account from Genesis 18, 9 through 15. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you. About this time next year, 
and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. The Lord says that he's going to come back in another year, at which time Sarah would already have the son. Sarah, listening at the tent door, kind of eavesdropping, here's this conversation. Abraham laughed last time. This time it's Sarah's turn to laugh. She laughs to herself, just as Abraham did. Like Abraham, she noticed her advanced age. And she wondered to herself if she should have the pleasure of conceiving a child. The Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Notice he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now Sarah was afraid and said, I I didn't laugh. But the Lord put a quick end to that one by affirmatively stating, oh yes, you did laugh. End of discussion. Now what are we to draw from these two accounts? Well, both Abraham and Sarah laughed to themselves. Although arguably Abraham was more demonstrative because he fell to the floor. So Abraham, Sarah just stood behind the tent door. There's no account of such a response from Sarah falling to the floor. Both questioned the wonder of their having a child at their respective ages. Indeed, Sarah said, I'm worn out. Yet many questions, yet many questions Sarah's motives for laughing while giving Abraham a pass on this. Some commentators make a differentiation between the two. They say Abraham's laugh was joyful, while Sarah's was derisive. They question not Abraham's faith, but they question Sarah's faith. Now, to be sure, Sarah lied when confronted, which seems to indicate some guilt somewhere. And she was confronted about her laughter, while Abraham wasn't. But Abraham had suggested that Ishmael could be his heir. Now, other commentators say they both laughed out of joy and amazement rather than doubt. Let me tell you what I think. I think it was both joy and amazement seasoned with a dollop of skepticism. You ever considered your circumstances and said something like, you know, if you told me a year ago I would have this new job or a promotion or a new car or or whatever, I wouldn't have believed it. You wouldn't have outright doubt, but the possibility would seem so unlikely that your response might be, oh man, I could only hope. So why was Sarah confronted and not Abraham? Well, again, here's some of my thoughts. Abraham's faith was already established. We read that in Genesis 15. Still, Abraham had his moments with Pharaoh and with Hagar, and after this with Abimelech. Sarah's faith was not yet recorded. Given it was she that suggested Abraham turn to Hagar for a child on Sarah's behalf, it's reasonable to conclude her faith was not fully established. So here was the epiphany for Sarah. She's confronted by the God who knew her innermost thoughts. She laughs to herself, and this God turns to her and says, you laughed. No one was around any longer. The God who could read her mind is the same God who promised she would have a son. Let that sink in for a moment. The same God who told her, you just laughed, is the same God who said, you're going to have a son. And I think that was Sarah's epiphany. She was able to conceive since she considered him faithful. 
Sarah learned to have faith not in herself, but to rely on the Lord. Even when her faith was weak, even when her husband's faith faltered, God remained faithful. True faith is reliant faith. It is reliant on God and God alone. And then true faith is redemptive. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 are very familiar verses to us here at Grace Bible Church. You know them. For grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Hebrews 10, 39 says that we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The next chapter, Hebrews 11, is sometimes called the Faith Hall of Fame. In it, we find references to Old Testament saints and prophets whose faith was considered as righteousness. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Abel's, Abel's sacrifice was commended as righteous. It says, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now think about that one. Dead people don't speak. Abel is alive today. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Enoch was one of only two people who never died, but rather went directly to heaven. Do you recall who the other one was? It's the prophet Elijah. Genesis 5.24 says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Noah, having been warned by God of things coming that had not been seen before, built an ark and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, some suggest that it did not rain before the flood and that rain is something that had not been seen before. Others suggest that it had rained, but a flood was something that had not been seen before. While it might or might not have rained, that's not the point. Certainly there was no flood of the magnitude that God was going to cause to occur. Noah believed God, and his faith was counted as righteousness. And we know that Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness. The chapter 11 of Hebrews goes on to recount the faith of Moses. The Israelites who crossed the Red Sea. Rahab, the prostitute who hid the spies who scoped out Jericho. And Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and many others. And in faith, these people conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Some were tortured. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned. Others were sawn in two. Some were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, in dens, and in caves. Yet they were all commended for their faith. 
situated right in the middle of this list, is Sarah, the mother of nations and kings. Jesus, quoting Exodus 3.6, said that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Hebrews 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And later in verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's faith. The same faith for which Sarah and others are commended that is counted as righteousness and gives us our hope. Do you see what's missing from all of this? It's works. Nowhere are any of these saints commended for their own efforts. They're commended for their faith. Sarah came to know that works does not equate with the promise of God. She tried on her own to bring about God's promise, and it didn't work. It was a work that she tried. We're told in Genesis 21 that after Isaac was born, Sarah saw Hagar laughing. But this laughing was not in joy. This was a mocking laugh. Hagar knew that her son was older than Isaac, and God had promised that her son would be a multitude. So Sarah told Abraham, Send Hagar away, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now Abraham loved Ishmael. He was his son. So he went and asked God what to do. And God told Abraham, do what Sarah says to do. He told Abraham that it was through Isaac his offspring would be named. Ishmael was the son of works. An attempt to bring about the promise of God through human effort. He was not the son of promise, of grace that was given to Abraham. And just as Ishmael had no place alongside Isaac, Abraham's descendants are not a result of human effort. Works has no place alongside faith. It is faith that is counted as righteousness. Works only proves the presence of faith but does not replace it. Recall again Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then listen to what Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 4. Starting with verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Abraham's faith was counted for righteousness, not for his sake, but for our own. And it is counted to us who believe in Jesus Christ. 
Paul further writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. True faith is redemptive. True faith saves us. True faith is also responsive. True faith is reliant. It is redemptive. It is responsive. You know that you're not saved by the good works you do. You're not saved because you're kind to the poor or kind to strangers. You're not saved because you obey most of the laws. You're not saved because you give to the church, you don't get drunk, you don't cheat on your spouse, you don't hurt someone else. And you're not saved because you're a good father or a good mother. These are all works done in the flesh that people think merit salvation. Sometimes people think if they're 51% obedient, 51% good, that merits salvation. James tells us differently. If you break one commandment of the law, you're a lawbreaker. Paul tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Faith is redemptive, not works. But that doesn't mean that works are not important for us. James writes that without works, your faith is dead. You have a dead faith. And while we're not saved by works, our works show that we are saved. Consider the list of those in the Faith Hall of Fame. Abel offered to God a more pleasing sacrifice than Cain. Enoch walked with God. Noah built an ark. Moses' parents hid him against Pharaoh's decree. Moses refused to be a son of Pharaoh, leaving Egypt instead. Moses kept the Passover. Israel crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. And later they marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls of the city came down. Joseph told Israel that they would leave Egypt and to take his bones with them. Rahab hid spies in Jericho. Gideon fought the Midianites with an army of just 300 men. David the shepherd boy confronted Goliath, the giant warrior. Daniel worshipped God in violation of a royal injunction. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship an idol in violation of a royal decree. These young men also refused to defile themselves while eating the king's food. Prophets confronted the kings with God's word. And Abraham and Sarah left their home in Ur to go to a place they did not know. They conceived a son according to God's promise. And Abraham even obeyed when he was called to sacrifice that son. For all of these, their works showed that they had true faith. And it's no different for us today. Jesus calls for our faith to be responsive. He said that anyone who would follow him is to deny himself and take up his cross. We are to make disciples, baptize new believers, partake of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him, obey all that he commanded. Paul writes that we are to put off our old selves because we are new creations. We are to walk in a manner worthy of our calling with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. We are to put away falsehood, speak the truth in love, be angry but do not sin. Put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. 
There should be no sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness named among us. We are to submit to our leaders, submit to our government, submit to our parents, submit to our masters or employers. And above all, we are to love one another as Jesus loves us. Because this is how the world will know that we are his disciples. We are to confess our sins. There are those in the faith hall of fame who stumbled. Noah got drunk. Moses killed a man, and then he disobeyed God by striking a rock when he was told to just speak to the rock. Samson cut his hair against his Nazarite vow. David committed adultery and murder. And Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands with Pharaoh, Abimelech, and Hagar. But 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today I ask you, Christian, are you showing your faith by your works? Have you put away the sins in which you formerly walked? Do you walk in a manner worthy of your calling? Can the world see that you are a disciple of Jesus because of your love for one another? True faith is responsive. And then true faith rejoices. Abraham and Sarah named their son Isaac in accordance with God's command. Isaac means he laughs. And this is a fitting reminder of the times both Abraham and Sarah laughed at the news that they would have a son in their own age. But this is also a recognition of the joy that Abraham and Sarah felt about the birth of their son. See, they didn't rejoice simply because they had a child. They rejoiced because in Isaac they saw the fulfillment of God's promise. And Jesus said as much when he told the Pharisees, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. Abraham knew the significance of the birth of Isaac. Likewise, we who have faith in Jesus Christ should rejoice. Jesus said, rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven. Of his crucifixion and resurrection, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby... She no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. The Philippian jailer and his entire household rejoiced over his belief in God. Paul writes that we are to rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Peter writes that we are to rejoice insofar as you, have, as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Christian, the Lord is coming back. And that is a day of rejoicing for us. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven. True faith rejoices. Sarah was honored by God as few women are. 
He specifically mentioned that from her would come nations and kings. Usually such language is reserved for men. Sarah's faith did not start out perfect, but it nonetheless landed her in the Faith Hall of Fame. Those on the list are commended for their faith, not their works. By examining her life alongside the others, we find what true faith is. True faith is reliant on Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no, under, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. True faith is redemptive. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. True faith is responsive. Our works show that we have faith. And true faith rejoices. Christian, God calls you to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Do you rely solely on Jesus Christ or do you vainly strive in some manner to prove your worthiness in some way? Do you have confidence that your sins are forgiven or do you needlessly carry the burden and the guilt of your transgressions? Do you act in a manner worthy of your calling or do you harbor a favorite sin or two or three? If your faith is true, rejoice. Your name is written in the book of heaven. Anticipate with delight the day that you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. To you who have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I need to tell you that your name is is not written in the book of heaven. Whatever faith you think you might have is not a true faith. And you stand condemned in your sins. And the words you will hear are depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But there's good news. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I plea with you, turn to Jesus. Place your faith in him alone. Your sins will be forgiven. You will have a new life. Be a new person. You will rejoice, for you will then have true faith. I ask you, don't leave here this morning in your sins. I or one of the other pastors would love to talk with you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, to everyone, I urge you, read your Bibles, for we know that the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that faith is a gift from you, and there is nothing we do to merit, to earn, to deserve our salvation. And Lord, we know that any works that we do, anything we try to do to bring about your will is just man-made works. Lord, we rejoice that the, the work of salvation was completed by Jesus Christ on the cross through his death, his burial, and resurrection. And today we need only trust in Jesus. We need only have faith in our risen Savior, 
and we too will be counted as righteous. Father, what a glorious thing you have done. It is your kindness, your grace, your mercy, your love, and yes, Father, your wrath and justice that sent Jesus to the cross. But the debt has been paid. Father, I pray for everyone here that they come to know Jesus in a deeper way. For those who claim Christ, Father, that we indeed examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And Father, we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And Father, that we rejoice. We rejoice because our names are in the book of heaven. Father, for those who don't know you, who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that your spirit works on them this morning, that they don't leave this room without talking to one of us, that they explore a relationship with Christ, Father, that you move in them and that you bring them to salvation. Father, we pray your blessing upon us as we finish our service this morning. May we praise you with rejoicing hearts, with gladness, Father, and for all that you've done, for all who you are. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.